Live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Train from his CD Western Stars from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host Gary Holt, and joining me in Albuquerque, New Mexico, is our co-host Miss Bobby Bell. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, Gary. I have my hot coffee, and um, I'm ready to go. What about you? 
Well, I have my coffee, but I think for you, more importantly, I think that I saw that you actually got some toilet paper this week. <laughs> Prayers are answered. Yes. Uh, good thing to have. A good thing to have. Especially if you're drinking, you know, coffee or water or whiskey or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. But it is a beautiful day in Nashville, Tennessee. We finally got some sun after about a week of rain, uh, maybe a week and a half of rain. And uh, so we've got sunshine and going to be 80 degrees today and and, uh, maybe a little bit better than your weather is today. Wow. Well, we're at 64 with maybe a high of 70. It's a little overcast. I've actually really loved the weather the last several days. Um, it's We've had some wonderful blue skies, but we've had some overcasts. And I don't, I like that variety. You know, in California, we didn't have a lot of variety. It was pretty much blue all the time. <laughs> oh, how boring. We get a little how variety boring. here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, it was so unique because yesterday afternoon the, the sun came out and I just I had to go outside and see what it actually was because it had been so long. But uh, <laughs> anyway, pretty day today. We have a fantastic show lined up today. And uh, who's joining us for the Campfire Cafe? Well, you know, Gary, we're so excited. This um, this is the final week of, of March, and all month we've been tipping our hat to our Canadian uh, neighbors and featuring uh, wonderful guests from Canada. And Corb Lund has been on my bucket list for a long time, and we're so excited that he's going to join us in just a couple minutes. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to talking with Corb and playing some of his great music. And then in the second hour of the show today, Ginger Gaffney will be joining us from your neck of the woods, New Mexico. She is a horse trainer and clinician and author of the book, Half Broke. So it's going to be a fun time today on the Campfire Cafe with Cor Blonde and then on Saddle Up America with Ginger Gaffney. But right now, let's take a listen to one of Corb's great songs, one called Time to Switch to Whiskey. And when we come back, We'll be talking with Corb today on the Campfire Cafe. Well, I like a full-bodied logger as much as the next hard-working man. The taste of suds while dealing stud, I can surely understand. The trucker's speed, and yes, indeed, it's nearly getting light. Well, it's time to switch to whiskey. We've been drinking beer all night. You can fish your bass and cut your grass and drink that purple gas. Showing up with the pop of stuff that'll knock you on your ass. It's like diesel fuel, nobody's fool, don't want to get left behind. Let's time to switch to whiskey, we've been drinking beer all night. Let's time to switch to whiskey, we've been drinking beer all night. We're all half dead and them that's left is spoiling for a fight. Well, who the fuck will quit drinking drunk? Now, boys, don't spare the ride. I've been splitting eights and hitting the straights in the card rooms of the world. Chasing skirt and getting hurt, but now I got a card playing girl. But man, she gets excited when the deal don't come out right. Well, it's time to switch to whiskey. We've been drinking beer all night. Well, it's time to switch to whiskey. 
Well, a lot of our musicians are hurting right now because of all these cancellations. And um, a lot of folks are doing stuff online. I actually saw you do something where you were doing a hand-washing thing the other day. <laughs> you saw that, huh? <laughs> oh, that was great. I, I shared that over a bunch of pages. Yeah, that was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got a bunch of people texting me, cursing me, saying that they can't get that thing out of their head when they're washing their hands. So <laughs> it's more fun. It's more fun. It's more fun than happy birthday. Uh, yeah, 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 really, 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 really. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about, uh, uh, about your growing up. I know that we, Bobby mentioned you'd come from a ranching family. I think you're what, five or six generations, aren't you? Yeah, my, both sides of my family came from Utah and northern Nevada around the turn of the century. They ranched down there for a long time in the 1800s, and then they came up to Alberta around 1900 or 1898, I think, and they settled up here and, and homesteaded and, and ranched in the foothills of the Rockies. And we still have the mom, my mom's side of the place, uh, my mom's side of the family's place. My dad's side is, is no longer in the family, but but yeah, and uh, both grandpas rodeoed and Mom and dad too. I did when I was a kid till I discovered rock and roll music, but yeah, I grew now, up doing you, that stuff. You also have on both sides of the family you have Danish roots, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. They came over from yeah. Denmark around eighteen fifty. I'm a yeah, I'm a Viking. So interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, your family history is really is, is so interesting. Um and then you did some rodeoing a little bit when you were younger. Yeah, I rode steers as a kid, and and then I did some steer wrestling in high school. I was I was too big for. By the time I was about fourteen, I was too big for riding anything because I'm too, just too big and too long of legs. So I was uh, I was I have a good I have a good build for a bulldogger. I'm six three, but I got into I did that in high school for a while, and then I got real real obsessed with with music when I was about fifteen. So I, I left everything else behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you, Dave Stamey had told me one time that he was uh, he wrangled on guest ranches, and after oh, yeah. he after he was bucked off a few horses, he decided music was a lot easier on the body than <laughs> rodeo or yeah, anything else. That's probably true, depending on the bars you play. But yeah, yeah. Well, it could be. That's true. That is true. So Dave and I, I've, I met Dave. I've known him for a long time because I've been for the last t- 10 or 12 years, I've been playing this event in every every January in uh, Elko, Nevada, called the National right. Cowboy Poetry Gathering. That's a right. big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, yeah. it's interesting because as you, as you folks probably know, there there aren't a whole lot of people performing Western music anymore, which is it's kind of distinct from country in a sense that, Country yeah. roots are more Appalachian, and, and Western music is more, you know, Western balladeering and that kind of thing. And there isn't really right. a whole lot of that around on the radio anymore. So there's uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a sort of a subculture out here. But but yeah, it's important to us. It's part of our part of our lifestyle. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, and a lot of a lot of uh, super talented performers and singers in the Western genre. And uh, quite frankly. Uh, for me, good music is just good music. So I don't care what the yeah. theme is, but as long as it's good, that's all that counts. Yeah, I feel the, I feel the same, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you've got a good friend, Mr. Andy Hedges, that uh, has been on the show yeah. a couple of times. And uh, mm-hmm. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was last year, wasn't it, Bobby, that we did a special show where we had several of the performers from Elko that were on about a week right. before. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, we did. We had Ryan Fritz and Trinity Seeley and yeah, we had a bunch of folks. We we wanted Corb, oh, but we just couldn't we couldn't we couldn't get you. <laughs> Ryan Ryan's my neighbor, he's in Alberta too. Yeah. Yeah, he Ryan was, just was on, on the show a couple uh, weeks of weeks ago. ago. Yeah, yeah, two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah Andy 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 Hedges is a good buddy too. I've known him for a long time. It was just his yeah. birthday two days ago. I sent him a musical video for his birthday. Oh, I saw a video that was done for his birthday that uh, his wife had done. That was yeah, about that was, an hour and a half. Were you on that? Yeah, I was involved. Yeah, I was on that one. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. I watched part of it. I haven't gotten to. I didn't have the time to watch all of it, but I'm going to go back and do that. But that's pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Have you, have you heard him do that poem called uh, "It's called the Motherload Aquifer"? Uh, has he got it on one of his CDs? I think so. Yeah, he wrote it. I think I can't sure if he co-wrote it with another another friend of his, or or just or just performed it. But it's it's a real masterpiece. Well, uh, everything he everything he does is fun and and yeah. great. And, and his don't podcast, tell him I said that. His, don't tell him I said and that. And then his interview his interview program is fantastic. I really enjoyed his interview with you was wonderful, but that's such a, it's so important what he's doing, um, sitting down and capturing uh, yeah. the story yeah. from, from every, everyone he talks to. And it's really well, well he's done. a real, he's a real historian of Western music. He's, he's a valuable guy to have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now this is not about Andy Hedges. This is about Cor Blunt. <laughs> so let's get back to Cor Blunt. So happy birthday, Andy. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So when did you start playing music? Uh, I think I was 15 or 16. Yeah. And it was, it was interesting because I, I, I sort of got entranced by the, uh, like I was saying, the rock and roll music of the day. Because I grew up doing cowboy stuff, and I just thought that was normal. I suppose there's right. some people out there who find that interesting and exotic. But to me, that was just my sort of baseline normal. So I thought, I thought uh, the whole world of another kind of music was really intriguing to me. It was fun. And uh, I think if I'd, I, I spent about nine years in a, in a, a rock band and I, and it was a kind of an interesting situation because it was an underground rock band where the, the music scene we operated in, it was really encouraged to try and be different and unique and, and find new sounds. And yeah. I think that that's kind of how I forged my songwriting style. So when, when I kind of eased into writing Western music, I think I brought that with me. So I think, if there's any kind of um, uniqueness or, or quirkiness to my songwriting style, I think it comes from spending my formative years as a songwriter in that environment where you're encouraged to kind of out of the box. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And I'm comfortable doing that. I've always been a black sheep. So, yeah. So uh, let, let, let's do one of your songs. That's a little bit more Western right now. And this is one called, cows around how did how did this come about um <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> this song well people who are cattle people will recognize this as mostly a whole whole string of truths about having cows around it's kind of tongue-in-cheek about all the all the trouble you can do with cattle but yet yeah. still want them around for some for some masochistic reason yeah 
Well, I, 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 I raised cattle for a while, and uh, I found out that I got along with horses a lot better. And so I, I dropped the cows. But let's take a listen to Cows Around and come back and talk some more with Corb Lund today on the Campfire Cafe. Living in town sometimes brings me down Let me bestow this western blessing and share what I have found May you always have cows around What else you gonna spend that extra money on? What else is gonna get you up hours before dawn? What else is gonna keep you toiling on and on and on? May you always have cows around. Come on, you know that you got too much time on your hands. Not merely enough complication in your plans. You need to invite all of the frustration that you can. May you always have cows around. Everything is better Cows around Living in town Sometimes brings me down Let me bestow this western blessing Leave you saddle bound You always have cows around What else could make the bishop swear Like a sailor might What else can cause such tension Between a man and his wife what else could ever bring all these enhancements to your life? May you always have cows around. What else is gonna get out when you don't close the gate? What else will make you prematurely show your age? What else will take a run at you in a fit of bovine rage? May you always have cows around. Well, that's the thing is better Living in town sometimes brings me down And although this western blessing leaves you cattle bound May you always have cows around What kind of cows, Corp? Well, there's Herbert Hyde and Simmental, West Black and Maine and Juki and Nina Limousine, Shorthorn, Charlie, Watusi, too Texas, Longhorn, Corey, any Romaniola, Galloway And Angus, Brahma, Brangus, Jersey, Guernsey, Holstein, hey! Now you know it is, you might as well admit 
to the badly flawed and sentimental masochisticness and that despite all the statistics and the advice that you get you will always have cows around yeah everything is better with cows around living in town sometimes brings me down where you won't know what you're missing till you hear that sound may you Special guest today is Cor Blonde on the Campfire Cafe, and uh, my my, that, gu- that my guitar player Grant, my steel my steel player Grant spent a lot of time figuring out how to make cow, cow noises on the low strings of the steel, the lap steel. <laughs> you tell him he did well. He did well. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, one of my fa- one of my the high points of my career was I got to play that song. Me and his name is Grant. My guitar player. He and I got to play uh, that song on the on the Marty Stewart show with Marty and Kenny Vaughn and oh, all those guys. It was oh, awesome. Oh, okay, you did it. Wonderful. You just you just did it because uh, next to you, Bobby's dream guest is Marty Stewart, and so I'm <laughs> I'm gonna have to I'll reach out a, to I'll Marty. Put and, wor- yeah, I'll put in a word. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, would you? That would be awesome. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I, I got to ask. my uncle. My, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, you go ahead. I was going to say my uncle ranches. He sent me one of those uh, internet memes that says uh, money can't buy happiness, but it, but it can buy cows, and that's almost the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll just have to take his word for it. I didn't get along with my cows, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I got to ask you. Uh, where was your first paying gig? Uh, my first paying gig was in <laughs> a real dive in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, called uh, the Ambassador Hotel. It's one of those, you know, one of those old places that has the you know old kind of down and out guys living upstairs and and a, and a right, real uh, right. rough bar. And every 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 Tuesday or Wednesday it was. You know, original music night. So that was. I'm not sure. Calling it a paid gig might be a stretch. I think. I think maybe maybe <laughs> fifty bucks or something. But, but officially, technically, that was our first one. Yeah. Now they didn't have wire around the stage to keep them from throwing bottles at you, or anything, <laughs> did they? No, there's no wire. But it was funny because the the girl the girl running the like taking IDs to make sure everybody was of age was I think 16 herself. Oh, jeez. Uh, it, was, it was quite a pretty rough joint. Oh yeah. gosh, yeah. yeah. Well, you've moved up. You've moved up a little bit. You've moved up a little bit since then. A little bit. Sometimes I wonder, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's oh, funny. Gosh. It's funny because we we play a real variety of of places, and we play everything from we played the National Arts Center in Canada, which is kind of our equivalent of Carnegie Hall, to mm-hmm. bike biker bars and you know cowboy saloons and and. To this and lots of festivals and rodeos and and honestly to this day some of my favorite shows are still at the real real rough and ready honky tonk saloons like that's still the, I honestly think that's one of the best ways to play music is in a 
it's just so real. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, talking about real places to play, I know you, you, you perform in Canada, you perform in the United States. I think you've performed uh, uh, in France, maybe, and in Europe. Yeah, quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Yeah. What is the difference in the audiences between Canada and the U.S. and Europe? Well, it depends. It's funny, in, in North America, it actually goes more north-south than it does, or east-west than it does north-south. Like, playing in Wyoming or New Mexico or, or uh, Arizona or Montana is, is not a lot different than what, what it's like at home for us in Alberta because the culture kind of goes north and south. Right. And cowboy stuff. And when we play out east in Canada, that it's a lot like playing in, you know, in, in the, on the eastern seaboard in the U.S. So, so we find that our sort of familiarity runs north-south. And, okay. and we have good shows out east, but it's the demographic changes because it it sort of changes from like out west we have a lot of people who are actually agricultural people, ranchers and rural people. Mm-hmm. Out east we have some of that, but we have a lot more people who might like Steve Earle, you know, song, urban songwriting right. fans. Right. So, so and I appreciate that too. I like to be able to do both. But um, Europe is a whole another thing because there, as you probably know. You get some people who, again, who are you know songwriting and fans of Americana, but you also get these weird, these cultish people who are who 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 sort of mythologize the West. You know, right. They dress right. up and stuff. They they dress right. up in that. It's pretty strange. Yeah. It's cool. It's I pretty mean, cool. Neat, neat that they yeah. appreciate it. We played a couple yeah. of festivals over there. One in France called Equi Blues. It was called. It's kind of a. Yeah. They have a rodeo. And, yeah. Uh, and it. Yeah, it's interesting seeing, you know, their cowboy stuff through their lens. It's it's having grown up with it. It's, it's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. Kristen Harris <laughs> played that one a time or two, and uh, uh, and she's just talked about the fact that that everybody comes in wearing their cowboy outfits. Yeah. You know, when they and show up for that. Once, once in a while, you'll see a guy dressed like Custer and a guy dressed like Hank Williams and a guy dressed like Geronimo. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Uh-huh. Oh gosh! Yeah, yeah, oh gosh! Yeah. I kind of, well, I kind of, to me, it's equivalent to kind of when you go to one of those medieval fests here. You know, uh-huh. yeah, you know, uh-huh. it's kind of a exotic thing that's not part of our background. It's kind of, I think, it's roughly equivalent. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's good. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting talking with people about the differences in the audiences and. Uh, and even with the uh, with the equestrian guys that I have on, people that have put on uh, have participated in uh, Equitana and other things out there. When they when yeah. they come in with their Western stuff, I think I talked to one guy and he said we had a hundred thousand people that showed up for an event in Germany wow. that they were. Yeah, it's just it's just Where's wild. Germany. Well, it you know what wild. I noticed about the, Euro- the Europeans is they've sort of matured in their tastes that way because. Years ago, it seemed like it was mostly kind of dress up, but now there's a lot of serious horsemen over there that have that have adopted Western, you know, Western riding yeah. techniques and stuff, and yeah. have become pretty. They've taken it beyond just fooling around, playing dress up, and now they're actually really, really good horsemen. They're really doing it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've got an album. My, my, my cousins raise paints, and they say I think two thirds or three quarters of their animals go to Germany every year at their auction. Oh my goodness. Well, we put on an event with uh, the Mustang Heritage Foundation this year called Rendezvous, 
that will be back here uh, just outside of Nashville. And uh, they put on um, Extreme Mustang Makeovers. They just had one in Fort Worth. They're getting ready to have one in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and then they got one in L.A. a little bit later this year. But they actually took that over to Europe this past year. Really? Yeah, and um, I mean, they're Mustangs, they're wild horses that have had 100 days of riding and performing, huh. and people people just eat that stuff up. They just well, eat it's it funny up. how it's come full circle, okay? Because all those all those horses came from Spain in the first place, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, come full, yeah, 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 yeah. It's come full circle. Well, you we talked a little bit uh, before the show started about the fact that you've got a new album that's supposed to release. I think it's April the twenty fourth, and uh, and and uh, I think you said you weren't sure whether that was going to happen because of the uh, yeah coronavirus. It, 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 put it, it's coming out soon. Put it that way. Yeah, I think yeah. the original date was in or was in April, but it may move. But it, it'll be out within a month or two. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got a song from that that I was able to sneak in, and uh, it's, it's one called "It's One Called Old Men." Tell us about this song. Um, yeah, this the song's about. It's kind of celebrates. I've been telling people it kind of celebrates wisdom and ability, because our modern age is so immediate, and everyone wants things immediate gratification style all the time, and it's kind of about, right. Everyone's, you know, you think about your grandfathers and how capable those guys were, and your grandmothers. Like old school people know how to do stuff. <laughs> right, right. And that's right. kind of what the song's about. It's about, uh, it's about old people's wisdom, and it's kind of well, a little bit about. It was inspired by. I have I have mixed feelings about this, but you know the kind of trend now to have all, all these micro breweries and micro distilleries. Yeah. Like yeah. I really I really support the business model because I like independent business and small business, but. Man, sometimes the whiskey's kind of rough. <laughs> the idea, the idea behind the song is that you want old men making whiskey because sometimes, like it takes thirty years to find out if whiskey's any good, right? So these twenty-six-year-olds oh, yeah. making booze. I mean, I respect the, the effort, but often, and once in a while it's good, but often it's not. <laughs> often it's not. So I want, well, the, I want the guy, I want the guy who takes the whiskey out of the keg. To bottle it, I want it to be his grandpa that put it in the keg. You know what I mean? I understand. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, well, when I saw the yeah. yeah, when I saw the title to the song, I actually thought it was written about me. But uh, <laughs> let's let's take a listen to Old Man, and it is from the soon-to-be-released Agricultural Tragic. We're talking with Cor Blunt today on the Campfire Cafe. <laughs> Bulls and drinking beer. Well, give me some young buckaroo. 
Anticipated uh, music project, agricultural tragic, such a great song. Um, Corb, when I saw you in um, performance, your band. Um, why don't you just tell us a little? You mentioned um, you mentioned Grant a minute ago. You have a phenomenal band. You want to just talk about them just a bit? Sure. Yeah. Um, they're, they're informally known as the Hurt and Albertans, kind of like Merle Haggard has the Strangers. <laughs> I got the Hurt and Albertans. <laughs> But but yeah, they're they're really a great bunch, and part part of the part of the deal is that we've been playing together for 15 years, so we kind of have ESP and all that. But they're also all really good. Like my bass player Kurt, he's he's a jazz guy, and he's he's mm-hmm. super deep about that stuff. And and my guitar player Grant is is really amazing. He's he's one of those people that can can make music on just about anything you throw at him. And he's uh, he's he's it's it's kind of neat because. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He plays last steel yeah. and mandolin, and baritone, and telly, and it's it's great because we can travel pretty light and have a lot of different sounds. But yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's very very musical. He's he's really um he's really uh, an emotional player. You can you can really tell when he's in a good mood. <laughs> it's cool. I love I love drummer, watching him. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 fun to watch. And my drummer Brady's been with me a long time. He's great. He's a he's a farmer. He's still they have a big farm up here, and so. He occasionally has to beg off the odd show during harvest, but he's uh, he's been with us a long time too. And they have different stylistic backgrounds. Like Grant kind of comes from a blues background, and everything that he plays country is, you know, pre 1968 kind of thing. And my drummer is kind of a rock guy, and and Kurt's a jazz guy. So yeah, it's it's a good mix. And the most important thing is that, like I say, we've been playing together for years and years, so we kind of 
kind of just, just kind of breathe breathe into it. Yeah, yeah, you have wonderful synergy. <clears throat> Grant had uh, I don't know how many instruments uh, came out that were kind of behind him, and he was was just fun watching him. Like, okay, I'm picking this one now. Okay, I'm picking this yeah. one now. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure if you noticed, but since we've been playing together so long, we don't use a set list anymore, and we've got nine records or something like that. So. Yeah. Every night's completely different, so I have, I actually have um, a series of baseball style hand signals to tell Grant what instrument to play next, so that it looks oh. like we're the list. So we can oh. we can just segue segue from one to another. Like I have one set of hand signals to tell Grant what instrument, and then I have another set of hand signals to tell the guys what songs next. So we can go bang 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 three, play three or four in a row without me saying anything. But That's it seems like we have a set list, but we don't. Well, in the audience that night, uh, they it wasn't a huge crowd from where I was sitting looking down, but uh, it definitely grew in size. It was a, a, a really good country sort of opening band, um, and it was a small group, and then people really came in, and so many were singing along with you. I love that when an audience sings along, because then you, you know yeah. you got real fans there, you know? <laughs> we, don't have, we don't have many casual fans. <laughs> Yeah, they're in, they, it seems like if they're in, they're all the way in, which is cool. I appreciate that too. Like, it, when, it's really satisfying to hear people um, sing along because it means that you're reaching yeah. the lyrics. When you when it you, when you were kind of you know done and you left the stage and of course everyone was um, hooting and hollering and and really asking you to come back and you came back and you did um, I think the next song that Gary has set up to play and it was so powerful because it was just you. Um, and that band's phenomenal, but it was for me such a pleasure to just get to hear you. And the the song that you did was the um, S Lazy H, and I think Gary's going to play that next. Do you want to talk a little bit about that song? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's it's fun playing solo. I I actually do a lot of solo touring too, and the guys are busy, and I like both, and so it's kind of a good element to add into the show because it creates a nice contrast. Um, but yeah, this song "SLAZH" is a special one. It's it's about uh, losing a, it's about a family losing the the family ranch, and it's um, it's it's kind of loose loosely based on a couple stories I've heard put together. Um, the details of the song are the brand and and the details of the family stuff are a, a good buddy of mine. Thankfully, he's not going through that. I just sort of used his details as a setting, but. But yeah, this happens a lot, and I didn't realize it would have the resonance that it that it that it seems to. Because every show we play in the western part of the continent, both Canada and the states, it seems like there's somebody at the end of the show with their head hung low and coming up to me and telling mm -hmm. me that they're going through it right now, which is really sad. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that they yeah. like the song, but it's 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 right. it's bad because it's it's tougher and tougher to keep those big family places together, farms and ranches, because either the kids fight or they there's no way to make them viable when you divide them up between people. So right. I've actually had a few, a few people tell me that they've used it as a, as a sort of an intro song at estate planning seminars. That's essentially what, that's essentially what the song's about. It's about estate planning. Cause really what has to happen, like the mom, you guys probably know this, but not everyone does. If you've got a big, a big ranch and you've got three kids you chop it up between three people and, and it isn't necessarily, each of those chunks isn't necessarily big enough to raise a family on. And al alternately, sometimes you have a couple of kids and one kid just wants the money 
And so he wants half the value of the ranch, and there's no way to pull that kind of money out of a working ranch. So you get a, you end up selling part of it. But I think what really has to happen is the uh, the lesson there is the parents have to say, you know, when they're still of sound mind, say this is what's going to happen. This kid gets right. this because he's worked his whole life on it. This kid get gets something not as much because he spent his life being a doctor, but he gets some of it. And this kid gets it. And if the parents lay it out in their yeah, you know, it will. It makes it makes it a lot smoother. But a lot of these guys, a lot of the old boys, don't think they're ever going to die. They think they're immortal, so they don't want to face it. I guess, right? But it's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But estate planning is important. It is important. They want to, yeah. It is important. Well, let's take a listen. S. Lazy H. Corblund's our guest. We'll be back in just a moment. I was born in this valley on this ranch I was raised I learned to lope rope and dally on the S lazy edge where the roots of my people they run deep on this place I am sixth generation on the S Lazy age And when it came To the future I never gave it a thought If there were Bronx To be broken Endless fears To be caught Where my youth It was carefree For the work Was my play And what I loved would always be there on the S lazy age I had one beloved sister a few years younger than me before so cowboy had kissed her she left for school in the east me I might I've gone to college, might have liked to fly planes, but my dad needed help to run the S Lazy H. So I worked there alongside him, put out all years in this place, and I gained appreciation for the lines on his face and when mom had grown older and when dad passed away it fell to me to look after the S lazy age By now my sister, she had married a sharp attorney back east. We didn't see eye to eye, but I did my best to make peace. What did they see when they looked over, over the fence one fine day? They saw a whole lot of value. In the S, 
lazy age So after thought and assessment The court awarded them half And no cow Calf operation carries that kind of cash Well I worked through the numbers Worked every which way Yeah I went through the numbers Oh and boys I'm afraid I had to sell 20 sections of the S Lazy H Sometimes right isn't equal Sometimes equal's not fair There will soon be rows of houses On that ridge over there Many lifetimes of labor Will be all but erased So shed a tear And look skyward God help the S Lazy H struggle, but I gave it my best, and I tried to go forward on the land that was left, I have lived with the sorrow, and I will die with the shame, for now the bank owns what's left of the S, Lazy H. Lazy H. Cor Blund is our special guest, and uh, that's a that is another great song, another great song. Thanks. Yeah, that's a dark one, but it happens a lot. Well, it does. And uh, back here in the east, unfortunately, uh, the farms that we have, it's kind of like you said, when somebody passes, and you've got several children. Unfortunately, most of the time, the big farms are gone, and they become subdivisions. And uh, yeah, but, yeah, it's happening a lot. Happening a lot. Um, in the old days in Europe, I think the model was the you know the oldest son gets the farm, the second son goes into the clergy, and the third son's out on the street, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like goes that. Goes the military, I like yeah. Oh, I like God help the daughters. Yeah, God help yeah. the daughters, I guess. But yeah, yeah, no, it was. Yeah. Uh, it's just always a it's always a tricky thing. The thing the thing that gets really tricky is when, like in my friend's case, he's in his forties now and he spent his whole adult life investing his time and opportunity costs into into improving the place. And his his sister went out east to college and and is a is a lawyer. And she she's there's no problems with those two. They're cool. But but you know you have to the, the parents have to account for that for the the labor and the improvement that the one child has put into the place, you can't just divide it 50, 50, right? Right. Right. So it right. gets kind of compl- compl- complicated. So. Well, those are conversations, conversations that need to be had. Uh, uh, while, as you said, the, uh, the parents are still 
of sound mind and kind of work those things out. Yeah. The, the thing that people sometimes don't understand about agricultural land is that it's, there's no way to, you know, a, a kid can't just decide out of, out of high school, hey, I'm going to be a farmer, go to the bank, get a loan on some land and farm it and ever get out the room of the loan, right? Because land cost, like land is so expensive now that it's the only place, the only way you can really do it is if you have a family owned place and the, and you're a custodian of it or it's a big corporate place. Right. So it's getting tougher yeah. and tougher for right. the small, small guy to compete. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, most of the farms and ranches today are, uh, corporations. They're, they're, they're yeah. big. The smaller family ranches and farms are gone. And, uh, yeah, and, and you're that's losing, it's the same as every other walk of life. You, you're losing the organic sort of, you know, the craftsmanship part of it and it's turning into just a commodity. It's kind of like the difference between a pair of runners from China versus a pair of handmade boots, right? That's right. Yeah. That is right. Well, unfortunately, that's the way a lot of things are, whether it's boots, farms, uh, yeah, music, you know, <laughs> music, music, it's all changing. And uh, yeah. for the good or the bad, it is what it is and we just have to deal with it so anyway you have been absolutely a great guest you have made bobby jean bell's day (laughs) today we'll have to come see us again have to come see us again next time with your albuquerque oh absolutely i i I would even drive you know i would drive hours to see you (laughs) would you you come to we we play nfr every year in vegas you come to the national finals rodeo in vegas sometimes uh, sometimes haven't been the last couple of years. That's such a great event, isn't it? Yeah. It's so fun. It's so fun. It's my favorite. My favorite thing of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just uh, need to plan on that, Bobby. You need to plan on that. Yeah. You better yeah, come on we too. Have, we'll have a party. Yeah. Not, well, yeah. we're trying to get Gary to get out of Nashville and come meet some of the people that we've interviewed over the years. He he. He doesn't get to see them the way I do. (laughs) That's true. That's true. But a lot more folks are coming to Nashville for recording or whatever. Uh, Matter of fact, I was going to ask you, I know that you've been scheduled to play uh, uh, the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And uh, and hopefully that will still happen. But um, have you been to Nashville? Oh yeah, many times. Yeah, many times for years. We've recorded probably half our records down there. I, I oh, recorded four or five records with a uh, friend, a, a guy named Harry Stinson, who's an old friend. He's yeah, actually, Marty. He's Marty. Handsome Stinson, drummer. Yeah. Handsome. Handsome. Yeah. 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 yeah handsome. He recorded yeah. one of my yeah. my first three or four records down there, and he's well. We've had him up up here to Canada a few times too, but yeah. No, I've been uh, I've been spending time in Nashville for an awfully long time. It's really, it's really changed the last five or six years. Hey, it's become a real popular city. Un, unfortunately, yeah. it has grown too much, <laughs> like a lot of places have. But uh, again, it is what it is. And so I have many friends that said it's a great place to visit, but please don't move here. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they do, they do. But yeah. anyway, that's fun. Well, listen. I know that all of our listeners around the world are wanting to know how they can find your music. So how can they find your music? Uh, we're pretty easy to find. The trickiest part is getting my name spelled right. <laughs> so it's, it's C-O-R-B. That's like Charlie Oscar Romeo Bravo Lund. Right. Uh, Lima, Lima Uniform November Delta. Corb Lund. So if you can get that down, we're on Spotify and iTunes and YouTube. We're all over the place. 
anywhere you get your music. But, um, yeah, um, I hope to see everybody live. That's my, the, the, the main reason I got into playing music is I love playing live. So I'm hoping to get back on the road here as soon as we can and play everywhere. Well, that's gotta be killing you. Like it is a lot of the performers that are out there and, and, uh, not able to do that right now. And, and again, hopefully, hopefully this will be gone and, and we can get back to normalcy in another month or two. So. That's my wish. You know, it, it, it's getting to the point where it feels almost like one of those things that you can look back and say, "Oh, I remember back when we went through the 2020 yes. quarantine, you know, whether, you know, like World War II or something." Yeah. Yep. Or the or yeah. the Korean, yeah, or the, I, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis or something, because it's like a yeah. global, yeah, it's is, a global event. It's this is history. Um, yeah. This this is history in the making. Absolutely. Yeah. This is history so, that I would yeah. just as soon have missed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's. You can there's 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 silver linings to it because I, you know one one of the things I notice is that as crazy as the world is and as divided is I'm getting you get you get uh, whiffs of altruism through this thing you know you 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 sort of see the good in people that sometimes the daily political political BS you don't see it but right. when you get into right. a crisis you start to see people's good come out in them and helping other people so yep. I like to see that. I'll, I'll, let me share this with you and then we're we're gonna have to close. But um, uh, on the news this morning, there was a child, a little girl, that was uh, probably about 10 years old, and she had just, she was just coming home from cancer treatments. She had lost her hair, and uh, as she was driving back home and driving down the street back to her home, people had just crowded the sides of the street with signs out wishing her good luck and welcoming her back home. And the newscaster made the comment that if it hadn't been for this pandemic, all of these people wouldn't have been home. And they wouldn't wouldn't have been able to have have welcomed her like they did. So some good things come (laughs) out of of bad things. Well, Corb, you've been great. You've been great, and uh, and we're looking forward to uh, agricultural tragic coming out and hitting. And uh, I'm going to close the show, this part of the show, with a song that you got from that album called 90 Seconds of Your Time. Is there anything you want to tell us about that? Uh, yeah, there's a long version and a short version. I'll give you the short version. I was on a hunting trip, hunting elk, bow hunting elk in uh, Idaho a couple of years ago. With a, and our buddy was guiding us. He was an ex-Army Ranger instructor, very capable. And uh-huh. on day number eight of the hunt, we came back, and our animals were all gone. They were, they'd been untied. And we still to this day don't know what happened, but we spent the last two days trying to track these animals instead of trying to track elk. And, the, and our Ranger buddy the whole time was muttering about how great it was going to be to find these guys and plant them in the back hills because he grew up there and no one had ever find the bodies. <laughs> and so after a, day, after a day and a half of this, I had to stop and say, Kurt, I need 90 seconds of your time because i got to make sure we're not going to kill anybody because I don't want to spend my life in American prison. And he just kind of laughs and goes, oh, we'll just shoot him in the leg, he says. <laughs> but that's what the song's about, me, me trying to talk about killing these guys. All right. Well, this is a great song. You have been an absolutely great guest, and uh, we look forward to having you back with us again. Right now, let's take a listen to 90 Seconds of Your Time. Cor Blund has been our guest today on the Campfire Cafe. It's hard not to take your point, because yeah, okay, fine. Had a 
got your ticket points, you yeah, okay, fine. With that big four to four and killing on your mind, all I'm gonna ask from your brothers not a second of your time. And maybe try to change your mind, buddy. Don't wanna see you get your hands, buddy. Here at home in peacetime. We both know you're better off in them Idaho hills. Where you can be alone with your thoughts and unconfirmed kills. The doc said the VA always be a pushing them pills. But we both know that all you need is them out of whole hills. With that big four to four and kill it on your mind. All I'm gonna ask from your brothers not a second of your time. And never try to change your mind, buddy. Don't wanna see you get your hands, buddy. Here at home in peace time. You think you got a minute and a half to listen to a friend? Cause I said we go hunt else, we got tags for them. Well, let's take a minute and have a just recognize decisions that affect your life and possibly mine. Was everybody so surprised you train up a ranger? Use him up, cut him loose, he goes home, he radiates danger. All the folks that are nose in town treat him like a stranger. Why act so surprised he's an army ranger? With that big 44 and cannot on your mind, all I'm gonna ask from your brother's not a second of your time. And never try to change your mind, Curtis. Go on, I see you get your hands dirty Here at home in peace time Out here in peace time Well, the fun continues when we come back with Saddle Up America on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network where our special guest will be Miss Ginger Gaffney We'll be right back Oh, Felina, don't go to roses tonight. I got a feeling that cantinas do for a fight. Oh, Felina, those men don't care that you're mine. They only care that you're dancing one dime at a time Oh, Felina Oh, Felina, why must you 
Legacy Radio Network. Today's featured guest is author Ginger Gaffney, a top-ranked horse trainer living in Velarde, New Mexico. Gaffney received her MFA in creative writing from the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Poetry, the landscape of New Mexico, and her relationships with people and animals had the most influence over Ginger's writing. She has lived and worked as a horse trainer in northern New Mexico for over 20 years, and her recently published book, Half Broke, is about her work with the residents and horses at a prison alternative ranch. Gaffney documents the events that took place over the course of a year and a half from March 2013 to September 2014 as she taught a small team of Delancey Street residents to work with horses. The book, published by W.W. Norton and Company, recounts the profound transformations in both the people and the animals as they learn to communicate, trust, and respect one another. 
Kirkus Review, just one of many positive reviews, calls Half Broke an engaging debut memoir about the real rehabilitation of damaged horses and humans. Please welcome to Saddle Up America, Ginger Gaffney. Welcome, Ginger. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> hey, Ginger. Hi, Gary. How are you doing? Well, I'm having a good day. I'm having a good day. It's going to start raining here in New Mexico, I think. It's always a good day when it rains here in New Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad it's there instead of here. I'm glad it's there instead of here. We've had our share of it. Yeah, we've had our share of it. Yeah, I, I said earlier, I said finally, finally, after about a week and a half or longer, the sun came out yesterday afternoon. And I just had to run outside to see what it was. I mean, it was this <laughs> golden globe that was shining. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, but, we have uh, so many days of these kind of beautiful days that we're the opposite. When it goes in, we're like, oh, it's beautiful <laughs> and gray out. <laughs> I know. I love it. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. Well, I got to visit with you just a little bit the other day. And uh, and you have an absolutely fascinating story, and uh, you shared some things with me that I couldn't believe about horses. I had never seen some of the things that you described before. But um, why don't we start out and talk a little bit about, you've written a great book called Half Broke, but you have chronicled things that happened at a a prisoner ranch. How did you get involved with that? Tell us a little bit about the ranch. The ranch is over here. Um, it's in um, well, Okeowinge or San Juan Pueblo. It's it's right near one of the oldest pueblos in the state. Um, their land is uh, it, it's a uh, Delancey Street Foundation. They have facilities in San Francisco and Los Angeles and upstate New York, uh, a few other places. But New Mexico, the one they have here, it's their only rural property, and it's the only property that they have horses on. Um, And so what Delancey Street does is it takes people from prison, brings them onto their facilities all over the country, and they do like a resentencing program where if you have six years left on your term, you can come to Delancey Street. You have to interview, um, and it's a pretty extensive process. Not everybody gets in because it's a, a work-oriented program. So when you come to Delancey Street straight out of prison, it's pretty much a jolt because they put you right to work, 16-hour days of learning different skills and different uh, life skills as well as working skills. And so in that way, they just really believe that um, to be able to recover and become a citizen, you can't just sit and sit around in prison all the time. You have to get up and do – you have to become your recovery. And so they keep people very busy. And not everybody's suited for that that comes out of prison, so they're pretty particular about who they take in. And and so this particular one over here at Delancey Street, during the time of the book, which was 2013 to 2014 – we had about 120 residents on the ranch. It's 17 acres. It sits right along the Rio Grande. It has water rights. It's a beautiful pond. It's a 100-year-old hacienda. Um, wow. 
that they that yeah that they bought in the 1970s and they've been operating here since then. And when they bought the place, it was um, in foreclosure from some, a Hollywood couple had it. There were horses and some cattle on it, so the property always had horses. At but at the same time, nobody at Delancey Street really knew anything about horses, and so, you know, over the years. They've uh, lots and lots of stuff have happened. New horses come in. Uh, I've heard uh, it's not my book talks about how people were getting hurt, but I've heard from other people that even back in like 1970 when they had horses there, they had some really difficult horses and people had been broken arms and things like that. So my feeling wow. is they never really they never really had um, somebody to help them out that really knew what they were doing. They may occasionally get somebody that had some horse experience, but it never lasted. And when I got there, the horses were extremely dangerous. And so it's a, it's an amazing facility. The only problem was the horses, they didn't know anything about horses. And at this time now, seven years later, we have a horse program. And now, you know, they're learning and they're teaching. I teach them, and then they teach all the new people that come on. So we do have a program in place now. But back then, it was chaos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, well, describe describe for our audience around the world a little bit about what you told me the other day about the way the horses behaved. Yeah. Well, one of the um, things they called me to. See see um that the horses were what i heard on the phone the first time was that the horses were chasing them and i said what do you mean chasing them well whenever we take our trash out they chase us and i said what do you mean (laughs) (laughs) and and so when the first day when i went there i i went there at dinner time and i said okay show me how you bring them how, how do you bring them in you know from pasture so four or five men go over, unlock the hay barn, and as soon as that door swings open, all of the horses look up from their pasture, and the men start running, uh, two flakes of hay, throw it in their trough and run back, two more flakes and run back. And I was just standing there in shock and wondering what, and then the horses came flying at us, just came flying with the ears back, necks down, you know, and at some yeah. point, people just started screaming at me, like, Ginger, get in here, get in here. And everybody was screaming. So they dragged me over to the hay barn, and we locked ourselves in, and the horses oh, charged no. right up to the door, like with oh, their no. teeth, you know. And they oh, were no. like totally – and they were like, okay, the horses were right there, and we're all in there. There's like eight of us stuck in this hay barn. And and then next thing you know, the horses go, okay. And they walk off to their little corrals and go get their food. But that's how it was going every day, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Bobby, the, your worst nightmare. Yes. Well, uh, Ginger, I've, I've enjoyed reading this book a lot. And I'm not an equestrian, as this audience knows. And so I, I anything that can sort of help me uh, – understand the magic of the horse i i just you know i just eat it i eat it up i'm like a sponge and your descriptions um are just so poetic i feel like i'm with you 
and I'm with these um, folks that you're working with through through every adventure that you have with them. And I found uh, it was just very interesting because you, you right away, uh, you recognize or you determine, I think, is it Hawk is um, yeah. the horse named Hawk. And, and you, you know, you, you start working right away. And this, and this team of people, they don't know you. Um, they, you. They know you must be an expert to call you out. But you you have to walk such an interesting pathway there, you know. Um, mm-hmm. t- tell us yeah. maybe a little bit about how you determined that Hawk was the horse to start with, and then uh, why don't you take us through um, you and Hawk meeting? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it was pretty hard to tell who was the leader of that group of horses because they were all acting similarly. They were all very aggressive and they were predators more than they were prey animals they were knocking people over and taking like if somebody had a piece of candy in their pocket and a horse could smell it they would push the person over and and so people it it became a food frenzy for these horses and um but they had told me that they thought hawk was the top horse and um some of the people there and I didn't know but I didn't know he would be but it turns out he was he was he was at least when I could make some change with Hawk um I could make more changes with the other horses and so the with Hawk um because nobody could catch any of these horses we had to run all of them into the round pen um and we had to sort of bait them in there with food with alfalfa and then it was the first or second day I've been there and um, I thought I was going to have some help, you know. I had all all these guys and a few women, but it, <laughs> I was looking around and I was noticing that they weren't even paying attention. They were like talking and shooting, at, you know, shooting the crap and and not even paying attention that I was getting ready to get into this round pen with these horses. And it was a shock to me that I, you know, I was like, but mm-hmm. I, I was like, okay, it's just going to be me today, okay. And um, mm-hmm. one, you know, simple things with horses, and I've met a horse or two like Hawk before. I knew that even the slightest amount of taking his power away was going to create him to fight against that. And so the way I tried to identify myself as the leader was to tell him to walk, to direct him to move to the left. And I had a long rope and a bamboo cane in one hand and a long lead rope in the other hand so that if he came at me, I could at least swing the rope and smack smack him with the pole because it's not like a pole is going to keep it's not a very big thick pole it's just enough to spook him a little so right. when i try to get him to, to, to get him to move off to the left he he turned right at me with his teeth and came charging at me and i smacked him as hard as i could across the chest and it surprised him and he backed mm-hmm. off that was my first success you know mm-hmm. that i was at least able to stop his feet from coming at me and right. so but then he was you know he was furious. He was furious about it, and and he, you know, he did a number of things. He tried to rear up and slap me with his hooves. He tried to spin around and kick me. So I was uh, jumping from side to side, spinning my <laughs> rope and smacking him with the cane. And then finally, he took a step and started walking to the left. Then as soon as he did that, I jumped out of the pen, um, mm-hmm. just because I've learned from my years that you take the pressure off is when right. they when they learn um 
so I jumped out of the pen and just, of course, I just jumped out of the pen because I was kind of freaked out, too, and I needed to get out of the pen for a minute. <laughs> but that's when, that's when I had the attention of all the people on the horse program. All of a sudden, they were like, holy cow, what is this woman yeah. doing, you know? That finally got their attention. Um, wow. Well, most of our, uh, a lot of our audience knows that horses are flight animals, not fight animals. But when it comes down to it, they'll either fight or flight, and uh, yeah. and so apparently that's what these horses have been doing. And mm-hmm. uh, you kind of revert. How long did it take? How long did it take for you to make progress with Hawk? You know, it was always a little bit at a time, but that day was a big day, you know, yeah. because I, you know, within a within an hour and a half, I was I was able to halter him, you know, and I was able to lead him, and they hadn't been able to do that, you know, forever how long. Um, but what I know, and most of your listeners know, that you know, you're either undoing your training in a horse or you're training them. There's no gray right. area, and these horses had been untrained. And and for years and years, and um, but as soon as somebody came in and said no, this, these are the boundaries, they were like, I get that, I get that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was quick. Mm-hmm. It was quick, quicker than most people can believe. But I don't think these horses were were always predators. I think at one point in their life, they were around somebody who set good boundaries, and I needed to do that. And as soon as I did that with Hawk, a lot of things changed. But it wasn't like he wasn't going to push up against that. He kept pushing up against that, and then I'd have to keep, you know, one of the things, you know, we do is move their feet, you know, in the horse world. We move their hindquarters to the right or their shoulders to the left. And so I was like, you know, a week later, a few days after that round pen incident, I was trying to move his hind legs to the left. And, man, did he come after me with his hind legs. Just I could not, he was not going to give me his hind legs, and I had to stick with it until he gave me one of his legs and moved it away from me and then I you know I quit and rewarded him there but that's how he would always keep challenging us like that until now he's not we still have him over at the ranch he is the easiest horse he's the horse that people who are the most <laughs> frightened he's the one they have they ride because he takes care of everybody so but it's interesting you know they can be either either extreme it's just it's just a on and depends on how we are with them and if we're gonna be, if we're gonna be aggressive, he's gonna be aggressive. He's not. He's not. He. You have to work with his understanding, the way he learns, and 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 that happened pretty quick for Hawk and most of the horses there, except for one mare who we really struggled with for a long time. Wow! Wow! <laughs> wow! Well, let's take a quick break. I want to listen to a song from Katie Moffat, a good friend out in California. This is one called, I think this is appropriate right now to do this song. It's called Midnight, the Unconquered Outlaw. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Ginger Gaffney today on Saddle Up America. Wait down. Never been conquered Called Midnight of Rodeo Fame He was once a hard-working pony 
Unconquered Outlaw from her um, CD project, Cowboy Girl. We're chatting with Ginger Gaffney today here on Saddle Up America. 
Um, she's written a phenomenal a memoir um, called Half Broke, and we're, we're talking about her experiences with horses and people um, as she recounts them in this memoir. Um, Ginger, I've, I've really thoroughly, as I said before, enjoyed this book, and I'm always curious a bit about writing process and such. How did you kind of go from um, horse, horse trainer to, to writer? How did those two live side by side for you? Um, I've always written, and I really love poetry, um, all kinds of poetry, even cowboy poetry. Um, and so poetry is kind of my first love and my first write, writing experiences. And I spent some time doing an internship with a poetry press out of college for about four years, and that just kept feeding my love of writing. And um, But then my horse career took off, you know, and I always thought that I was one of these writers who um, needed to write but not, didn't necessarily need to be published or were thinking about being published. But in the back of my mind, I always thought that there may be a story. And I was, I had this in my mind for years. Like, there's, I think there's a story that I'm supposed to write about. But then I just go back to training and doing the stuff that I love, and I had a, a really wonderful career. And so it wasn't even on the table until my late 40s, early 50s, I started feeling this, like, a, you know, a little bit of a lull in my passion. And my partner was like, what about writing? You've always loved to write. So I decided to go get my MFA in writing only just because I wanted to feel that aliveness again. And, um, and then when I got to the program at the Institute of American Indian Arts, these I would come home after class, and we would have assignments, and I was doing a poetry class, and we would have assignments, and I would stay up all night, but I'd be writing the stories that are in this book. And it, mm-hmm. by, like the, you know, by about the 40th, 50th page, I was like, oh, <laughs> I think this is the story that I'm supposed to write. You know? And because it was so moving, so moving to me, and... I'm not one of these people that remembers much about my childhood. I don't I don't know. Maybe a lot of people are like me, but I don't have great memory. I don't think of myself as somebody that's been so accomplished. I can't tell you a whole bunch of my accomplishments. But this book and these stories, I wanted to remember. And I started writing them so that I would never forget them. Um, and then just kept going to school, and people were giving me a lot of encouragement around these stories. So... I changed my major from poetry to creative nonfiction so that I could finish this, you know, at least get a good ways into this book. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how it happened. And, uh, and I'm really grateful for all the steps along the way because books aren't about one person. I mean, it's about who your teachers are, who your readers are. And then a lot of the publications that um, became interested in publishing these stories, as I was writing them, I would send some of them out. And pe- they were getting picked up by some pretty big literary magazines and um, journals, and that's also how I knew, you know, maybe I'm on to something. Maybe I am a writer. You know? How about yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, to be picked yeah. up by Norton, that's huge. Um, to have yeah. Norton as your publisher is really um, exceptional. Um, yeah. You you do blend um it's a it is called a memoir it is non i mean it's yeah. nonfiction but i guess is yeah. it being called a memoir because you're also sharing some of your personal stories of your youth 
and of um, of your sort of going through life before you meet these folks at the ranch. You kind of weave your personal story through. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you blended, how you brought your story in? Yeah. Well, um, it's interesting because I, I would be in school and I'd be telling people I'm not – it's not about me. This book isn't about me. It's I don't I I want this story to be about the people that I met and all the changes we made. And but then people kept saying, "But you've got to be in it. You've got to be in it." And I was pushed in a lot of ways to put it in the book, and I resisted and resisted. And all my teachers, if they're anywhere listening, they'll be like, "Yes, she did. She really resisted." <laughs> and it was the last thing that I put in the book was um, myself and. I, you know, my partner helped me find it, as well as my editor from uh, W. W. Norton. He was just really gentle about pulling it out. I, 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 I kind of put a lot of bombs in the book, like two or three sentences about me, and then I would just not say anything more. And he would say, "Can you just, with these two sentences, can you write me a paragraph about that?" You know? Elaborate on that. <laughs> yeah. So I well, was you, not. I thought. I thought of the book as a nonfiction book and not memoir, but you're right. That's why it is memoir. That's why it's categorized as memoir because I am now telling some of my personal story too. Yeah, your your um, you share about your first horse, Belle, and um, mm-hmm. it, it's a, a wonderful and the experience that you had with was it Bob that worked with you with Belle? Yeah. Was that a story yeah. that you kind of added? Was that a story that you? Um, not added later, but, you know, you found a home for it, or had that been part of your initial writing of the memoir? Um, that was actually pretty, pretty big part of the initial, yeah. I wrote okay. that while I was in school. I didn't know where I was going to place it in the book, you know, yeah. but I wrote that whole that whole chapter. Um, I didn't know if it would make it into the book, um, but it did. Um, but, yeah. So that was an early one that I was able I, – I knew – see, I was kind of writing about myself but not showing it to anybody. I'd be writing uh-huh. chapters about me but not showing them because I needed just to stay emotional through this whole book. I needed to stay really, really close to the emotion. So I would sit down and write some really hard stuff just to make myself feel vulnerable enough that I could really stay in the heart of the story because that, yep. that's really – it's what you know. It really was that for me. Working at that ranch changed my life. Changed so many things about me that I didn't want to not stay really close to that. You know. Right. Right. Well, and, and we just um, had Corb Lund on, and he has this song about old men and want to want to learn from you know want the old men want the whiskey made by old men and want the the horses <laughs> trained by old men. And I thought about that song actually when I was reading about Bob because he had a mm-hmm. profound um, impact on you with Bell. Um, you want to talk a little bit about him? He's a really neat guy. Oh, thank you so much. You know what? That's the you're the first person in all my interviews that. Wants me to talk about Bob. <laughs> and I just cried. He's, I mean, he he's he was the most amazing man. He was a brick mason, and he was a um, what is, is it? What, in World War Two, he sat in the turret, and, and um, oh. and he and he got shot down. He got shot down. Oh. He was a prisoner of war, and wow. he loved horses. And he loved horses. I met him in his late sixties, um, after he retired and um on a small farm in North Carolina 
and I was having a really hard time in my relationship, and I knew, I knew, I knew I needed to get a horse, and I knew I needed it, and Bob was the only one that would help me <laughs> figure that out. <laughs> and, I mean, it is just beautiful because all of his his farm and his barn was one of those old, you know, old beat-up barns, and he had all his old leather from when he was tilling his, his field with all his draft horses. And so he would make me things from all his old leather, you know, and he'd make, make wow. me a bridle. And, and, and he, you know, he was not intimidated by this horse that everybody else was completely telling me I should never get. And I remember the day the vet came up to do the vet check on her, and she was like, no, do not get this horse. And Bob was just sitting there going, we got it, we got it, it's not going to be a yeah. problem, we'll, we'll be fine yeah. here, you know. <laughs> yeah, he saw he know. saw a diamond, he saw a diamond there, yeah. and I thought, yeah. you know, as you, even though it's 20 years of training before you meet these um, residents at the ranch and you meet these horses, yeah. I couldn't help but feel that somehow Belle and your relationship with Belle and with Bob, it was almost giving you a role model or mentoring you for what you yeah. were going to be doing later even after all of your successful career um and and the other another thing that you point out is that you were training horses but you were also training people yeah yeah and people had no experience with horses you know yeah there's one scene where you you uh take them all aside and you teach them how to walk and (laughs) uh i thought that was fascinating you've you have such a um, a knowledge of being able to read the physical um, language of people and of animals. Do you want to just elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. The, um, well, okay, so I'm working with people whose lives are very beaten down and their body language, there's either, there's two extremes. They have like absolutely no life in their body and they're pretty caved in, like so many of the people you see on street corners these days. And that's the mm. picture that you want to have of the people I was working with. And then on the opposite side of that spectrum, you had a, a number of men who spent most of their lives addicted and you know, to something or other. A lot of it was meth at that time. And they're very angry and really loud and strong and harsh gestures with their body, and they're real bossy. And so you have these extreme uh, pictures of people, and then you try to get these people to get along with horses, and you can kind of see why it's a failure, because you're either you have no energy in your body, or you have way too much energy in your body. And I had to line them all up and make them walk down the road, and they thought I was crazy. You know, the men were definitely laughing at me, but um, I had to be very firm and told them exactly why it's not going to work. If they're going to, you know, look up, look up. I kept telling them, look up, act like you're going somewhere. And then the other guys, I'd be like, slow down, take a breath. You know, you look like you're getting ready to come over here and punch me out. If you look like that in front of a horse, they're not going to like you. They're going to be defensive. Um, So I told them, basically, you're going to have to change on the outside and on the inside for this to work. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's the only thing I had to work with with them was to change their physicality. And 
Yeah. And we practice yeah. it a lot. We practice it a lot. And even to this day when I meet new people over there, it's the first thing I work with is how they walk, how they walk around the horses because that's the language the horses are listening to. It's so interesting. As as the world has kind of slowed down bit a bit and people are kind of at home, I can't help but think that there are a lot of our listeners that have stories um, with their own pets or animals um, and that they maybe like you had had in their mind, there's something that I should write down, but I don't, you know, who would read it or, or, or whatever. Can you maybe give a little bit of an insight into let's encourage some of our listeners to sit down with pen and paper or laptop or whatever they have. Um, you want to give a little, um, a little encouragement on the benefits of writing? Yeah, sure. I mean, cause I think I'm a good example. I never thought I'd, I'd have a book published and it wasn't something I had as a goal. Um, but, Writing gets us really close to who we really are, and we don't ever have to share it. Um, but there's something uh, and about the animals and our physical landscape, and, may, and knowing your listeners probably all have animals, to be able to dive in to, at this time, to dive into um, what it is you connect with with them, because we're so separated, and it's only going to get harder for us. So... And we're so used to being together, but we are still together with our animals. They don't know that COVID nineteen is going on. They're still begging for their dinner, and you know, I've no, noticed that. Like, I mean, it's really an interesting world because, like, the animals have no clue and don't care, and and yet, and what we're all saddled with it. And then I walk up with my dogs, and I'm I take such a breath because I'm like, oh, this is normal too. You know, being with animals yeah. is 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 the best way we can stay close to another living thing. And so if there's somebody, a horse or a dog or a cat, that is helping anybody um, right now, I, I suggest sitting down and just writing that out, you know, because you'll start to feel what you've been missing from your family. And it's just a good emotional tool for us to stay close to um, to our most vulnerable selves, because when we can um, be vulnerable with ourselves, then we can be vulnerable, you know, see everybody else as yeah. being vulnerable too. So, because I walk around in the supermarket and I've noticed people are having a hard time making eye contact, you know, people oh, yeah. are carrying, you know, they're carrying their bodies in such ways that they're scared, you know, full of fear and, and they're disconnecting. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be. I say it, you can be silent and separate, but still be close, because animals teach us yeah. that. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. and and think of the, the the animals that normally you know the family leaves and they're by themselves all day, you know, more or mm-hmm. less, and suddenly there's like people, whether it's a single owner or it's a family of five, you know, there's like people around yeah. all day long. It has yeah. to be a little bit of a change for many of our pets, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And horses too, because we can still go out to the barns and ride, yeah. you know. Um, and so they're yeah. getting they're getting to see us more because we're able to get to them more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. more it's than very... more than ever, more than ever at this time. You you are such a you are such an interesting and fun person to talk to. And um, <laughs> I know I know that our listeners wherever you are in the world 
want to be able to pick up this book and find out more about Ginger Gaffney and her experiences. So how can they find Half Broke? Well, I you know, I have a website, but all the local bookstores have it now. You go to your local bookstore. Um, I know you can't go there, but you can probably go online and buy books from them. And also the Audible version is up now. Um, oh, and the audio book, yeah, the Kindle, the audio book, and the Audible version are all up now. Um, but you can also go to my website, which is just my name, uh, www. Uh, gingergaffney.com and then you know I have the indie bound is on there amazon you know it's, it's everywhere so it's not a hard book to find right now cuz it's just came out um february 4th all right well i'm yeah. looking forward to reading this uh, i've got to ask is there another book in there somewhere mm-hmm. yeah yeah there is actually i'm i'm working on um I'm working on some individual pieces that will be coming out, too. There's a piece I just wrote that um, Poets and Writers magazine is going to have up on their website probably by the end of today or tomorrow, and it talks about social distancing and my experiences with horses and and self-isolation and stuff like that. So people want to read something quick. You can probably click on Poets and Writers uh, website. It's going to be up tonight or tomorrow, I think. Um, Great. And then I'm I'm working on a book-length piece um, that has similar themes because it has a lot to do with the contemporary issues with addiction, and but it's going to be fiction, and it t- takes off from my experience um, that I I uh, started a, a farm. Uh, this is this is true life story. I started a farm two years ago for a transitional program for men who were coming out of treatment centers and didn't have anywhere to go and we have a self um a farm that's self-supporting itself through or growing uh, pasture-raised hogs and free-range chicken and uh we're raising pasture uh free-range lambs and anyhow this whole this whole thing I started 2 years ago for this transitional living program um has become a novel <laughs> wow and uh yeah <laughs> Um, it's becoming one. I'm working on it, and it, it's similar uh, themes and quite a bit of horse stuff in the book as well. Um, so I, I'm not, you know, I'm writing, and I always say, to, as a writer, don't don't know where you're headed, just write. And so that's right, right. now, that's where I'm at. Yep. Yeah. So you know what that means, don't you? You know what that means. You'll have to come back. You're gonna have to come back. You'll have to come back. <laughs> well, that'd be wonderful. All right. Well, you yeah. have been an absolutely great guest, and uh, and I look, Thank I look, for, I haven't gotten to read the book yet, so I'm looking forward to reading Half Broke. But uh, anyway, great Thank to have you with us, and uh, and look forward to having you back. Ginger Gaffney has been our Thank special you. guest. You You're very welcome. Our special guest today on Saddle Up America. And uh, when we come back, we'll be visiting some more with Miss Bobby Bell.
Once upon a time, there was a man and wife. This man and his wife loved serving others through the retail trade. One day, the man said to his wife, I have learned of recent natural disasters impacting those we love and communities we serve. How can we help? And his wife said, I am so glad you're thinking about this. We have a friend who lost his home to the tornado in Tennessee, and we have rancher friends in Oregon facing extreme hardships due to recent floodwaters. And they said to each other, there must be a way we can help. And a voice said, create the Hero Collection at OutWestShop.com and donate a portion of its sales every month to a charitable cause. And the husband said, we can do that. And the wife said, it's as good as done. And the Hero Collection was created. Find it at OutWestShop.com. Make a purchase and be a hero to those in need. And the man, his wife, and their hero customers live happily ever after because it's always a great day out west. I ride a black horse, baby, all across these western plains. I ride a black horse, baby, all across these wild, wild plains. I ride over to the mountains and turn right home again. I see that silver saddle, baby, with syrup of solid gold. I got a bright silver saddle with stirrups of solid gold. I got a diamond hat band and 24 karat soles. I sing my homes out on the range and the chorus of Sweet Baby Jane. I think I want to go home, but my home is all gone and I'll never see that place again. And I said, see that tumbling down. I'm the toast of the city and the pride of this cow town. All right, boys. Shadows on a tree. 
trail I ride into the sunset, grab a twister by the tail I ride into the sunset, grab a twister by the tail Thanks a lot. Johnny Neal over here on fiddle. Mr. John Chandler, Black Horse. That's from his live CD. Bobby Bell, this has been another yes. stinking, good, stinking good show today. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, we made your day having Cor Blund on the show. And oh, uh, yeah, he was he was a lot of fun. Neat, neat, neat guy, and uh, really enjoyed his music. Kind of sad to wrap up our salute to our Canadian friends. They're our second largest audience around the world, but uh, we have a lot of great Canadian artists that will be joining us all throughout the year. So uh, don't worry, Canada, we're we're coming back to you. But uh, you know, a lot of fun. Ginger Gaffney is such an interesting gal, and uh, uh, and fun to visit with her as well. Yes, yes, it's a great book. You've got to you got to go buy it, go download it. Um, and she's right. I'm so glad she sort of plugged the local independent um, bookstores um, because oh my goodness, we've got to throw our support. Uh, their way any way we can and you probably have one in your community and um, they may not be able to t- deliver to you but you could call them most people are still manning their maybe the owner is in the store closed um, but you could call them or email them and say hey can you get me this book and um, support support your local businesses every way you can during this time yeah, particularly at this time but anyway, fun, fun show. And uh, I bet you've got a closing thought for us today. Laughter may be the only contagious thing that you actually want to catch. So laugh whenever you get the chance and laugh hard, even when people give you funny looks, even though it's the social distancing to you. <laughs> the right <laughs> kind of person will start laughing, too, without even knowing why. It is the best medicine. <laughs> That's right. Well, particularly at this time, of this time, this season that we're in, I think laughter will get us through all of these things. So anyway, it's been a fun show and uh, we want to encourage you to be with us every Thursday for the Campfire Cafe starting at noon Central Standard Time, followed by Saddle Up America. And we'll be back next Thursday with another great show. Right now, we're going to close this one out with one from Willie Nelson called Ride Me Back Home. And Bobby Bell, we will see you next Thursday on the radio. Wash your hands and laugh. I'll do both. Thank you. He rode in the battle, bareback and saddle. You took the wound in your side You pulled the sleds And you pulled the wagons You gave them somewhere to hide 
Now they don't need you And there's no one to feed you And there's fences where you used to roam I wish I could gather up all of your brothers And you would just ride me back home Just ride me back home 